We begin in Egypt, the largest Arab country, where more than two-thirds of parliamentary seats are now in the hands of the Muslim Brotherhood and another Islamist movement known as the Salafis. It's impossible to explain the rise of Islamist political parties across the Middle East without following the money trail. And in Egypt, that trail runs through a complex Islamist financial network of foreign regimes, wealthy donors, and charitable organizations. Correspondent Julia Simon's report begins in a village a few hours north of Cairo. In a village in the Kalyabia province north of Cairo, the streets are too narrow for taxis. You need to take a rickshaw or tuk-tuk. So I am in a tuk-tuk now, driving through the Nawaf village. It's very bumpy, not paved. Down a narrow alleyway is the apartment of Mohammed Saad, a local Muslim Brotherhood member in this village of 35,000 people. We walk up the cold cement stairwell and knock on the door. The door opens and I meet Mohammed's wife, Sada, and Ahmed, his 11-month-old baby. Hello, Hana Julia. I'm Lai. Alhamdulillah. Hello, Da. Ahmed. Oh, great, your baby. 29-year-old Saad is a security guard on the banks of the Nile. He doesn't make a lot of money for Sara and Ahmed, only about $130 a month. And yet every month he gives 7% of his income to the Muslim Brotherhood. About 50 Egyptian pounds, he says, less than $10. At the Muslim Brotherhood headquarters in the hills above Cairo, I meet Khairit al a multi-millionaire businessman and the deputy supreme guide of the Muslim Brotherhood. The Muslim Brotherhood's Freedom and Justice Party recently won 47% of the seats in parliament. And El Shatter says the majority of campaign money came from fees from members like Mohammed Saad. For example, if in Egypt there are one million members of the Muslim Brotherhood, and if all of them gave a dollar a month, then we'd have a lot of money for the elections and everything else. Waves crash on the beach in Alexandria along the Mediterranean Sea. Not far away is the headquarters of the Salafi El Nur party. They won 25% of the seats in parliament. Tariq Sha'alan heads the party's economic commission, and he says, like the Muslim Brotherhood's Freedom and Justice Party, most El Nur election funds came from membership fees and the listed candidates themselves. Like my cousin, he was uh, on the list, he paid. Everyone in the list pays, you know, so. Everyone pays, I think, about $10,000 or sometimes even about until to $20,000. It depends. Forget the story of self-finance. That's Imad Ged, deputy director of the Ahram Center and a newly elected member of parliament for the Egyptian Social Democratic Party. Ged doesn't buy the story that the Muslim Brotherhood and Salafi parties rely solely on funds from inside Egypt. Instead, he says... We know very well that the Salafi are getting their finance from Saudi Arabia. Gad says Gulf money to Egyptian religious organizations started coming in the 70s, largely from Muslim Brotherhood members who fled to the Gulf after President Nasser banned the party in 1954. But he says the huge money started coming in last year, after the revolution. The Minister of Justice in Egypt said that one of the Salafi organizations got uh, almost 200 million American dollars from Qatar. 
Wow, that would be really nice. <laughs> I would like to see this money. <laughs> Tariq Shalan of the Salafi Al Noor party says it's all empty talk from the competition. It's just a rumor, you know. If you if you say anything, please prove it. Foreign financing and politics has become an especially taboo subject since Egypt's revolution. It's at the center of a high-profile trial of American NGO workers this year. After three weeks of requesting an interview, both the Saudi Arabian and Qatari embassies said they were too busy for this story. Imed Ged says his party tried to talk about budgets and campaign finance with the Muslim Brotherhood in Parliament, but they wouldn't discuss it. Still, it's not just foreign donors to worry about, says Naguib Abadir. He's on the political committee of the Free Egyptians Party that won about 5% of seats. Abadir says another obstacle to transparency is the fact that the Muslim Brotherhood hasn't been legal since Nasser banned them. So uh, how come you know that people are giving money to an unregistered organization? My question is, how can you donate money to an organization which was working outside the rules of the game. Back at the Muslim Brotherhood headquarters, Khairat al-Shatar insists they are legal, that the real illegal decision was Nasser's. Even so, he says the Muslim Brotherhood will re-register as an organization soon. We are ready to make everything transparent, he says. And in a month or two, there will be a new law from the parliament that will apply to all the organizations. It will address all the questions, and we won't have any more problems with transparency or the regulations. So you definitely, Mia Mia, will, will register. Yes, of course. Nevertheless, the Ahram Center's Imad Ged says there is one body in Egypt that could demand both transparency and accountability right now if it wanted to. And that's Egypt's current military rulers. Ged says the problem is the army's colluding with the Islamic parties. If the Egyptian authorities want to clarify the situation and to know the real sum of money who give whom money, I think they can know. But in my opinion, I think the transitional authorities in Egypt doesn't want to know. Everyone agrees on one thing, though. The money machine is about a lot more than just politics. It's about the workings of the broader Egyptian economy. In a department store called Istikbal, women walk down aisles lined with Tupperware while salesmen arrange stainless steel coffee mugs. The joint owner of Istiqbal, the Muslim Brotherhood's Khairat al-Shatir, and it's far from his only company. When I met him, we ran down the companies on his LinkedIn page. Ashraf al-Sharif is a lecturer of political science at the American University in Cairo. He says the Muslim Brotherhood has been in business from the beginning, when Hassan al-Banna established the organization in 1928. That's part of his ideology of the totality of Islam, or the comprehensiveness of Islam. So they should have Islamic economic activity as a power base of the movement. And it's not just business, they have services, things that President Mubarak's regime failed to provide to the poor. Medical institutions, uh, subsidized housing, schools, uh, like uh, private lessons centers, uh, provide jobs. All this, al-Sharif argues, played a huge part in the recent elections because he says while foreign capital was important, the local capital was also critical. 
And the Islamic parties have it precisely because they've situated themselves in mainstream Egyptian society. I think in the West they think of the Islamist movement as like a fascist type organization which is really working from scratch to build a totalitarian ideological machine. Uh, that's not really true. Actually, I think the society here is a strong one because actually the Islamists are successful because they are playing with the cultural idioms of the society. Pre-existing economic networks, social networks, values. Back in the Noah village north of Cairo, baby Ahmed is jumping around on the couch, playing with his father's cell phone. In the end, Mohammed Saad says the main reason he gives his money to the Muslim Brotherhood every month is because... Well, he trusts them. They'll get rid of corruption, he says. They'll help the economy. And they'll teach Ahmed, too. (laughs) He just threw the cell phone, didn't he? (laughs) 